Well, good evening. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, just uh, turn with me to Colossians, uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, and uh, I'm going to read there a few words from chapter 2 and then into chapter 3. Uh, I don't know if you know, the, the theme I've been given to uh, speak on tonight is just uh, godly act of obedience. That's the, the theme that uh, Andy gave me to speak on, just godly obedience, uh, act of obedience. So uh, we're going to look at several parts of the Bible, but let me begin with this overall reading that's going to be the overall arching theme for what we talk about. So Colossians, uh, beginning at chapter 2, verse 6. Speaking to believers here, I, I don't know if you are all believers. Uh, I, I don't know if you are all Christians yet. I, I, I honestly don't know that. I've talked to many people who clearly are. There may be some of you yet who have still to receive Christ into your life and uh, for Christ to draw you into himself. And uh, maybe if that's not happened, you'll probably know that. You'll probably know just through speaking to the men here that they seem to have something with this Jesus that I don't seem to have yet. So I'm going to speak as though you're Christians, but it may be that some of you tonight need to come to Jesus. And it may be that you need to allow Jesus to draw you to himself. But this is addressed to believers, these words here. Colossians 2 verse 6 <clears throat> Therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord So that's my question Have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? Have you actively received him into your life? Therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord So walk in him Rooted and built up in him And established in the faith Just as you were taught Abounding in thanksgiving And now chapter 3 if then you have been raised with Christ, another description of what it means to be a Christian, has that happened to you? Have you been raised from an old life into a new life? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Here's another description of a Christian. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Well, amen, and we thank God for his word, and pray that he'll give us understanding of it. I, I know I've met uh, many of you before. I, I don't know what you need to know about me before I get into what uh, I want to say. Uh, I've been a Church of Scotland minister for about 40 years. Uh, it began in 1979. And uh, I had to give up just a few years before uh, normal retirement age because I took a, a lung disease and then I took heart problems and a heart attack and had heart operations and so on. And uh, for a, a few years I was wasn't uh, speaking at all and uh, by the grace of God I've made a, a, a recovery of sorts, I'm still not able to work full time, but you know being released just from parish ministry I, I now find myself meeting Christians all over the country uh, and going places that I would never be in if that hadn't happened to me, isn't the body of Christ amazing, just all its variety, I wonder if there's a prophetic word here, don't let anything come in between your unity as a group I think this is wonderful what's happening I don't know if I've met two folk from the same church here tonight you're, you're from all over the place and how Satan must hate that and where there's unity you don't even need to ask a blessing God commands the blessing he commands a blessing of life and how he would love just to put something between some of you here maybe there is something between some of you here 
be good to get it dealt with tonight, wouldn't it? And give no opportunity to the devil. So it's great what's happening here. <clears throat> and I love just seeing what God is doing uh, throughout Scotland and throughout the body of Christ. I don't know what to call myself now. I've retired. Have you heard of a Baptist minister called Jim Graham? He's now in glory. And uh, he was minister of Gold Hill Baptist Church uh, down south. And when he retired, they gave him the title Director of Outside Ministries. And then they realized that spelled doom when they, when they put all the words together. So they changed it to Director of External Ministries, which sounded a wee bit better in terms of the lettering. Now, I don't know what I am now. I'm not a parish minister anymore. Uh, but I, I love just going wherever I'm invited uh, just to chat about God. That's really all I do. I just go and I chat about God. And I love uh, actually uh, doing that. It's a wonderful theme that Andy uh, gave to me to speak on, just the whole theme uh, of obedience. Let me tell you why I think that's very important at this moment. I believe revival's coming. Do any of you believe that? I really believe revival's coming. And I don't know when. I don't know whether I'll be alive to see it. I hope I will be. But I've known men of God much more godly than me who have lived and died believing that they would see revival. And it never happened, so I don't know. But I believe it's coming. I absolutely believe it's coming. And you know, when revival begins, often it feels like judgment. What you actually find when the presence of God comes down is that believers like ourselves begin to even doubt that we are converted. Because in the presence of the light of God in such an extreme way that happens in revival, you begin to see stuff in yourself. And you begin to know there's a bit of repenting to be done. And you begin to see the imperfection of your obedience. Do you know what Charles Finney, one of the the most used channels of revival in the whole history of the church, do you know how he defined revival? He defined it as a new beginning of obedience amongst the people of God. The fire of God comes and it burns up the dross. And we know the fire of his holiness changing us from one degree of glory into the next. I believe revival begins with judgment which begins with the household of God according to the scriptures. And so when we touch on a theme like obedience, would that this was a theme that the people of God all over Scotland were considering. Because that to me, along with the prayers of God's people all over the nation, would be a sign that we're at the beginning of God beginning to do something. But when I consider this theme of obedience, can I say that I feel a concern? And although I believe revival is coming, sometimes... I wonder if it's further away than it was a few years ago. What do I mean by that? I mean that there's, cheaping, that there's creeping into the church what I would call cheap grace. In other words, I've been forgiven. Jesus has died for me. I've been set free. So actually, yes, I'm disobedient here and there. But it doesn't matter. Because Jesus has died for me and I'm forgiven. Do you know what the scripture actually says? Without holiness no man shall see the Lord. Jesus saves us from our sins. We can't be saved from our sins and continue to live in our sin. I know a young man in a very busy church in Scotland who was told by his counsellor not to worry about his addiction to pornography. That it didn't really matter. 
I compare that with a young man that I met at the Lewis Conference. Remember you heard about the Lewis Conference coming up in June. He had an addiction to pornography. He got prayer for it. And he said it was as though the fire of God entered into his body and burned up every trace of that addiction and in a moment of time he was completely utterly free and that problem has never ever come back in our America they reckon that 67% of church leaders have a pornography problem if you've got that problem it's no worse than any other sin but maybe you need help with it tonight because somehow sin separates even when we deal with the grace of God the grace of God enables us to abide in Christ and he in us cheap grace your sin doesn't matter because Jesus paid for it I was listening to a sermon by R.T. Kendall and he said this the doctrine of sanctification which is just becoming more and more obedient becoming more and more like the son of God doing the will of the father more and more the doctrine of sanctification he said is really the doctrine of gratitude Lord Jesus if you did this for me if you suffered this for me not because I'm going to earn my salvation because you took care of that but because you did this for me and because I realize the depth of what you suffered for me that the father turned his back on you and poured out his wrath upon you for my sake because you endured that I want to live in thankfulness and I want to show my thankfulness to you by doing what pleases you is that where you are with Jesus being so grateful that he saved you from hell Amen that I want to live the rest of my life in gratitude simply doing what pleases him it's not rocket science is it and yet why do we find it such a struggle I just want to look at some principles tonight to do with the whole business of obedience and uh, I want to begin here where I actually began I think probably the men's talk uh, the men's conference uh, the last men's conference I, I want to talk to you about this reality the reality this is the way that being a Christian is described in the Bible we're described as in Christ so it's not just that we ask Jesus into us but that he takes us into himself the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus we're in Christ and Corrie Ten Boom I think I showed you this at the men's conference she used to illustrate that like this she would hold up her thumb and she would put her fingers round her thumb and she would say there's your life believer and there's your life in Christ and then she would put her other hand around that hand and say there's your life in Christ in God the Father 
That's the wonder of being a Christian. And we actually read about that, maybe in slightly different wording, in Colossians chapter 3. Let me just remind you what we said there. If if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now normally when I use that illustration, I think I did this at the men's conference, I I do that to speak about how assured we can be of the love of God. Because if we're in Christ, if our life is hid with Christ in God, then it means that as the Father looks on us, He sees us in Jesus. And He says over every single life here that is trusted in Jesus Christ, exactly the same as He says over His Son Jesus, You're my Son, and I love you, and you bring me great joy. I wonder if you believe that tonight. That's the wonder of salvation. That in Christ, God the Father looks at us the way he looks at his son Jesus. And he says over us what he says over his son Jesus. Let me ask you, before we go on to this matter of obedience, this is almost rehearsing what I said before, or revising, is it conceivable that in all eternity the Father will ever turn to Jesus and say, Son, I've never told you this before, but it's time I told you, you're a complete disappointment to me. It's never going to happen. And yet some of us here secretly believe we're a disappointment to God. If we're in Christ, then the Father says over us what he says over Jesus. I love you. And you bring me great joy. You're not a disappointment. Do you think it's conceivable that there was ever a point after Jesus returned to heaven where the Father turned to him and said, Son, I I don't know how to tell you this, I actually wish your personality had been a wee bit more like Simon Peter. And yet some of you wish you were more like the man sitting opposite you on the table. Are you the personality of somebody else in the room that seems to be able to speak so freely? Or you wish they had their voice? Or you wish you just something about them that you wish was true of you? God has no favourites, it says in the Bible. And just as he's never said to Jesus, Jesus... There's this thing about your personality that I've always found a bit awkward. He's not sitting in heaven tonight thinking that of you or me. Does that mean it's time to stop or is that a real hallelujah? That's it. (laughs) So in Christ, we're loved. And friends, what I want to help you to see tonight is... We need to approach obedience in exactly the same way. I don't know if you've heard of a pre-Reformation teacher called Meister Eckhart. He was actually a a German, as you maybe would uh, guess from the sound of uh, his name. And he was a bit of a a mystic. Uh, And this idea of being in Christ was, was really, really important to him. Let me tell you how he describes that. He says this. If we can really get hold of this, of being in Christ, in God. He said when when a person is like that, 
now I'm quoting, in order to get to him, we must reckon with God first. For he is right in God with God all around him. As my cowl, my cap is around my head and any person laying hands on me will first come in contact with my habit and my robe. Do you get that? I think that's absolutely brilliant. When a man has set himself fully to see himself as in God and surrounded by God, nothing can touch him without first encountering God. And anything must go by way of God to reach him. And in doing so, it gets a flavor of God. And becomes divine. So, so here's the picture. In Christ, in God. And in order for anything to get to us. It has to reckon with God first. And by the time it reaches us. Whatever it is. Has passed through God. Through Jesus and reaches us with something of that divine flavor. And you hear the illustration he gives. If somebody reaches out to me and takes hold of me, they'll get my cap, but they'll not get my head. It's actually a true story. If any of you here have been slain in the spirit, I've been slain in the spirit a couple of times. It doesn't mean anything in terms of superior spirituality. My my wife has never been slain in the spirit. She's a far better Christian than I am in every sense. And if you're a bit jealous about being slain in the spirit, let me tell you what I shouted out when it happened to me. I happened out. I, I shouted out, "Oh no!" That's what. That's what I shouted out. It's just, "Oh no." true story, David Pitches, a bishop in the Church of England was praying for somebody to be filled with the Holy Spirit and his eyes were shut and the person's eyes were shut and he had his hands in their head and he thought there was something happening because he felt his hands were getting sort of closer together and he felt a sort of wishy-washy feeling in his hands And he thought God must be really at work. And he opened his eyes into his horror. The man had been slain and the spirit was on his floor. And what he was holding in his hands was the man's wig. (laughs) And so he bent down as quickly. This is true. He bent down as quickly as he could to put the man's wig back on. But he didn't put it over his head. He put it over his eyes. And the man woke up from his spiritual experience (laughs) and he thought he was going blind and he started to shout hysterically. He'd not got hold of his head. He got hold of his wig. (laughs) Friends, let's talk about this in relation to obedience. The Bible says that our problems with obedience begin within us. God doesn't tempt anyone. Our problems do begin within us. I'll tell you how it works. Satan knows how you're wired. I've got an electronic piano at home now, but I used to have an acoustic one. And the same thing that affected my lungs affected the piano. It got mold. We'd actually get rid of absolutely all our possessions. We'd nothing left. And to get rid of my piano that was a 21st birthday present. But you know, the way an acoustic piano works, not an electronic one, is if you open up the lid of the piano and you sing in a certain note, strings start to reverberate. Satan knows what note to sing into each of our lives he knows the way we're wired 
And he knows that some of us have certain strings that will vibrate if he calls in a temptation and others have other strings and if he calls in another temptation something will begin to vibrate. But see if we get hold of this. That whether temptation is coming from within us or is coming from without as Satan calls in to all our vulnerabilities and unhealed parts because we're all works of grace and progress what we need to remember is as he comes against us he's coming against God and if we can keep hold of that picture by the time every temptation to disobedience comes to us from Satan but has to hit God first then somehow it carries within it the possibility of something that will bring God glory has God's flavor in it it comes through him he permits it and if we just get hold of that that if I'm in Christ in God do you remember what Jesus himself said of the evil one he has no hold over me and before we get to the practicalities we need to get to the truth that sets us free and this is who you are and that's what you need to tell yourself I'm in Christ and this temptation has had to get through God to come to me and as it's passed through I can find his goodness I can find his victory I can hear his promises no temptation has come to me that is not common to men and women and if this has been allowed to come then praise God I can find a way of escape it's like a break on a runaway train your old self is dead this is who your life is now your life is Christ in Christ in God and see if you really get hold of that then in the face of the fiercest of temptations you can say to yourself to Satan to temptation to any other person wait a minute I do not need to do this because I've been raised and my life is hid with Christ in God and I promise you if you practice that truth you'll find that even when sin and temptation come with the force of a runaway train there's a break and you can say wait a minute Kenny you died and you've been raised And Christ is your life. 
And you're in Christ, in God. Kenny, you do not need to do this. Truth always comes before application. We're not talking about self-effort when we talk about obedience. We're talking about becoming what is true of us in Jesus. And claiming that and living it out. I find it amazingly interesting that Ezekiel, Ezekiel is the one where God promises, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. But then on the basis of that, God also says through Ezekiel, so make for yourself a new heart. And make for yourself a new spirit. I've done this for you. And because I've done this for you, given you a new heart, given you a new spirit, you can now make that true in your living. Make for yourself a new heart. Make for yourself a new spirit. Ezekiel 11, the promise, I will make for you a new heart and a new spirit. Ezekiel 18, so make for yourself a new heart and a new spirit. The way of summing that up would become what you are. Become what you are. This is who you are. Now by faith, step into that. And by faith declare it, I am a new creation. No more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God, I stand. And according to the Bible, the grace of God that came to us from heaven is a grace that enables us to say no to all unrighteousness. That's the truth and that's the theory. What does it sound like in actual practice? Well, in a sense, this is the easiest, easiest talk I've ever had to give. Because Paul actually tells us what living out this truth of being in Christ, what that actually, actually means in terms of practical obedience. So I want to be very simple. I just want to read to you now what Paul actually says. This is what that looks like as we live it out. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire... Covetousness. Friends, there's no grading of sin. Sin is sin. And though he begins with sexual sin there, he then goes on to covetousness. He used to have a cafe church in Wester Hills. Wester Hills, as you know, it's quite a, a rough area, a difficult area, a lot of addiction, a lot of problems, just the problems that come from poverty as well. And uh, we used to have cafe church, and that was simply, I would stick up my hand in our cafe and say, anybody that wants to talk about the Bible, come and gather around this table, we're going to do that now. And we would do that as others just had their coffee and their lunch and so on. And we're talking about the commandments one day, and it came to covetous. There was one petty criminal who said to me, I've never had a a problem with covetousness in my whole life. 
I said, that's wonderful. He said, no, no. He said, if I ever saw anything I wanted, I just took it. So <laughs> he didn't have a problem with covetousness <laughs> because he just stole whatever he wanted. It didn't seem, we hadn't yet talked about thou shalt not steal. I don't know how you would have got around that one. Covetousness. Which is idolatry. Listen to this. An account of these, the wrath of God is coming. I hope you believe that um, Christians can still experience the judgment of God. It comes as discipline. Have you ever felt God's anger against you? I, I felt that. I remember beginning to watch a program, it was a documentary, and, and I just felt very, very strongly from God, Kenny, do not watch this. And I looked at the blurb and I thought, I don't see why I shouldn't watch this. And so I started to watch it. And the sense of Jesus' anger came upon me so forcibly. And it stayed for two or three days. I had a dream at the end of that two or three days. I saw Jesus in a boat. And he wasn't going to come and get me. I had to swim out to him. It was me that had jumped out of the boat through my disobedience. Jesus can't be true, untrue to himself. He told me he was angry with this, and he would be. And it's up to me to go to him and say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm just sorry. Please forgive me. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. God chastises every son that he receives. And if we don't know his anger at times, then according to the Bible, we're not his children. The Bible says we're illegitimate, we're bastards. We're not actually his. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away because you can, because you're in Christ. You've got a new life, live it out. So put away anger. Sometimes I I think a good topic for men would be how to deal with anger. I go into Schultz prison it would certainly be a good topic there what do you do with anger wrath malice slander some of the way that Christians talk to one another and about one another have you ever seen some of these heresy sites where Christians hunt one another out surprise there's not more lawsuits because a lot of it is sheer slander obscene talk from your mouth the generation of Christians that my son and daughter they're in their 30s now they don't do this their their Christian friends seem to think it's okay to say oh shit it's, it's just words it's just a word no, no. or O-F-U-C-K it's just a word not meaning anything by it it's just a word well it says here get rid of obscene talk from your mouth yes. it says it mm-hmm. obedience is just reading the book and doing what it says yes Jim Graham that I referred to earlier said sometimes look friends I didn't write this stuff I'm just telling you what it says 
rid of obscene talk from your mouth. Never be close to God if you're saying oh shit and no F-U-C-K. Don't get near the edges. Can you do that and not lose your salvation? Yes. But you'll never be full of God. A true story of a a lady looking for a new coachman in bygone days. And she interviewed three people. And one went round a sort of coastal track that she'd set out. She sat in her carriage and he drove around at a sort of moderate speed. And another one thought he would show off and just get as near to the edge as possible, showing his great skill. And the, the third one just stayed miles back from the edge. And everybody thought it would be the one who managed to go around at great speed right close to the edge. He didn't even get a look in. She wasn't going to entrust her life to an idiot. (laughs) She chose the one that stayed miles back from the edge. There's a form of Christianity now that says to the world, actually we're just like you. We just believe in Jesus. But we're really just like you. We can drink like you. We can swear like you. We can laugh at dirty jokes like you. They don't offend us. We're just like you. We just happen to believe in Jesus. Stay miles back from the edge. Some things may be permissible. But they're not always helpful. Get rid of anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Let me just read it because we're running out of time. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. You, You can't blame your background. It's my background that gave me a particular problem with this particular sin. It was my culture that I lived in in my early days. All these cultural things. We're told here it's no excuse. Because Christ has trumped all of that. And you're in Christ. What does it mean positively? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. We need to hear this as men. You know, there's an image of manhood. You find it in lots of Christian meetings these days. Being a man, I mean like Christian speakers, why do they do it? They yell at everybody when they're all within earshot. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness. Remember Hugh Black, a Pentecostal pastor, a great influence on me, saying that the older he got, the more he appreciated people being kind to him. Did you do anything kind today? Not something manly and forceful. Did you do anything compassionate and kind? Put on humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Friends, again, I I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what it says. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive one another. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be thankful. Wives, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. That's for them. 
This is for us husbands. Love your wives and don't be harsh with them. You've been harsh with your wife. Thinking that's what leadership looks like. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The sort of father who picks up the B in the report. Your children are never quite making the mark with you, and they know it. Servants, let's bring it up to date a wee bit. Servants, those of you who are employed, don't just do things well when somebody's eyes upon you. But do it well all the time as though you were doing it for the Lord. Are you a boss? Are you an owner? Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly. If you're a Christian boss, your workers should be the best paid and have the best conditions compared with anybody else doing a similar job. Friends, we'll stop there. It doesn't stop there, but I feel that's enough for me. If you want to know what it is to obey, just open the Bible. Look at Colossians 3 when you get home. When I wasn't well uh, and I was given three years to live and I didn't know how to cope with that and I didn't know what to do when I got home with that news and this is back in 2012 and I found the Bible wasn't speaking to me. Because the news was devastating. And I found the Bible, was just, it just wasn't really speaking to me. And then I remembered somebody saying, when you don't know what to say, and I found I couldn't pray. When you don't know what to say or what to pray, they said, um, just open the Bible at the Psalms and read the Psalms until you find your voice. And by that I mean find a verse that seems to speak what you know you want to say. But you, you've not got the words to say it. And so open the Psalms, Psalm 1, Psalm 2. Is it Psalm 27? I can't remember offhand now. But I came across this verse. I believe I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen. And I know that's God's verse for all his people. You know what I mean? But I felt he gave it to me. And release that as a prayer back to him. See this book. How, How Satan wants to keep us out of it. Because there's life in it. And there's cleansing in it. And there's refreshment in it. And there's guidance in it. Can I just ask you as we close? It really is this simple. We're new creatures in Christ, and if we want to know what that means in practice, just pick it up and read it. I've been a pastor for 40 years. I've never, ever found with any Christian that comes to me that there's ever been a complicated reason for why they've lost a sense of the Lord's presence (coughs) it's not they haven't got hold of a really difficult principle it's they've let go of the ABCs and when I became a Christian I simply taught by scripture union to open this book every day and just to read it because it's a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path.
I just get this feeling that maybe for some of us the Bible's on the coffee table or the bedside cabinet and it's been there for weeks at least I'll tell you the way it works you know you should pick it up and you get near to it but there's something in you that's almost afraid to pick it up again and start reading where do you think that fear comes from? doesn't come from your born again heart your born again heart loves the word of God where does it come from? comes from the evil one and he puts this fear in you that somehow it will make no sense or somehow it won't speak to you or somehow it will and you're fearing what it will say and he makes you afraid to pick it up and it lies there for another week and another month see if you just open it and start reading anywhere just read till you find your voice read till you find something that challenges your behaviour read till you find something that you've forgotten about the grace of God in Christ Jesus I think that's all I want to say. Why don't we just shut our eyes for a moment and bow our heads? <clears throat> and can I just um, say, I hope this doesn't come across as. Um, anti-prayer ministry or anti-counselling I was helped immensely by a godly counsellor I've been helped immensely by people praying for me but on the, ba- on the back of that affirmation which is wholeheartedly meant Can I just say this one step of obedience could take you further into God, into Christ tonight than years of prayer ministry, years of counseling. where an obedience is withheld and a disobedience is harboured so often the Lord brings things down to one thing the rich young ruler one thing The woman at the well, one thing, he was just looking for her honesty about their past relationships, one thing. And whether we yield over the one thing that he is highlighting, really determines whether a straight path into the purposes of God will unfold or whether we go round the roundabout again in the early years of my Christian life when I was training for the ministry there was one area of life where I knew I was being disobedient to the Lord and can you believe this? I went along to a lady, was Hugh Black's daughter, Mary Black, one of the godliest women, closer to God than perhaps anyone I've ever known. And I said, Would you pray for me? I'm just not sensing God in all the fullness that I would like. 
And she started to pray, but then she started to prophesy. And the prophecy, prophecy came as a word from God. And God said to me through her, My child, I am so willing to move into your life and make it my home. I'm so willing to fill the home of your life with my fullness. But I wish to bring in my furniture. And that means some of your furniture needs to go. And then it ended with this. You must choose, my child. You must choose. We read from God's inspired word many things that obedience means in practice. I wonder if for each of us we can just think of one thing that the Lord is asking of us. Just one thing. Maybe something from that list. Maybe something that we know he's been speaking to us about for a while. And just sit for a moment with that. Would the Lord say to you tonight, I'm willing to move in in a greater fullness than you would ever have believed possible. for me to bring in my furniture this piece of your furniture needs to go you must choose my child you must choose Will you remember that because you're in Christ, in God, you've left the old powerless life behind. He can give you the power both to will and to do His will. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. For this moment, settle upon us. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that when you bring conviction, you don't bring condemnation. For there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And whatever area we may struggle in, may sense in that struggle something of your divine hand your divine presence your divine promises and may we lay hold of these things
drawn near to us we read about kindness gentleness compassion we dare to ask you to draw near to us like that yourself may your kind and gentle presence lead us to repentance we've found that being shouted at never works makes us withdraw why would a dog come home to an angry owner who's shouting at it run the other way may we hear your gentle voice come to me come to me come to me just as you are with this because whoever comes to me I know wise cast out as we deal with these things Lord as we welcome your presence afresh may the words that are going on in our own minds and hearts the thoughts and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight O God our rock and our redeemer in Christ's name and for his glory Amen